0: Today's show is sponsored by Grimsburg a new show that airs on uh, Fox Sunday nights at 9:30 p.m. 830 p.m Central
1: this is the the John Ham show yeah
0: yeah it's uh, an animated show that they describe as quote a dark and edgy comedy that follows John Ham's detective Marvin Flute who might be the greatest detective ever to catch a cannibal clown but there is one mystery he can't crack his family. It sounds Aww. tragic, and also, uh, before we move on in the script, I want to point out, uh, John Ham, make another flesh. Thank you. Go on.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it is, it is time for the Fletch call-out. Uh, but, you know, Grimsburg airs on Fox every Sunday night and will stream the next day on Hulu for uh, all of us who have cut cords. In yes. fact, you can watch a preview right now on Hulu and get ready for the premiere this Sunday. And if that wasn't enough, we have a clip to play for you before we
0: dive into, uh, you know, the, uh, the standard Fango spiel.
1: From executive producer and star, John Hamm.
2: Everywhere you go, crime follows.
1: You say that like it's not super cool. Comes one killer comedy. Let's go. There's not much... Oh, actually, we're probably fine. You Ah! can watch... Freeze! Anytime. I'm the world's most smartest detective. That's how good I am. I defy grammar. All new Sundays on Fox and
0: watch anytime on Hulu.
1: Yeah, thanks uh, for that, Mr. John Ham. Uh, that leaves one more bit of business before we jump into the show. Fangory has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and is delivered right to your front door four times a year. Each issue filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future. With all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror notals to guide the way, including, from time to time, your incredulous, wonderful, fantastic KingCast hosts. Did you say
0: Incredulous.
1: Maybe, maybe I wanted to cut, like, you know cut us down just a little bit. We can't believe we're
0: the hosts of the King Cast.
1: Yeah, no, I just I wanted to to bring us down to earth just a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't, enough. I couldn't just give us all the, all the positives. I had to throw in one little like, yeah, ah, yeah that's about right. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you'll need to subscribe. In order to do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. Use the code KINGCAST at checkout to save a whopping, astronomical, massive 25% off your subscription.
0: Incredulous. Let's get on with the show, folks. (laughs)
2: My name is Stephen King.
0: The ice is gonna break! bad Bedroom!
1: You guys wanna go see a dead body? Well, sometimes, dead is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. I'm Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Today's guest is a star of the stage and screen who first turned heads in PJ Hogan's Mental opposite the great Tony Collette and has since made a name for herself on the big and small screens in productions like picnic at hanging rock 2018's romper stomper and i met a girl KingCast listeners will most likely be a fan of hers after her leading role in the recent evil dead rise where she got to tangle with some nasty deadites her next film out is a mean little one woman thriller called monolith all about the nasty terrible no good profession that is being a podcaster <laughs> uh, i shudder to think of such an undignified profession Anyway hideous, hideous Sean, yes, we mustn't. We we you have no idea how bad it is behind the scenes. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> monolith hits US Cinemas and on digital this Friday, February sixteenth. And to tell us a little bit about the movie as well as her feelings on Brian De Palma's adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie, we have Lily Sullivan joining us. Welcome to the Kingcast, Lily.
2: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm a fraud, though, guys. I just have to pretend that I run a podcast, you know? <laughs> know. You well, did. A that's pretty good that's job. for the
0: best. Yeah. The unraveling mental state
1: is, um, you know, dead on in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the That kind of ties into my first question, actually, is like, because there's something that I've noticed about the rise of conspiracy thinking with the rise of podcasting as, as an art it's not like <laughs> the, the crackpots haven't been out there you know for for years there have been religious you know cults on radio stations and you know the i'm thinking of like uh, uh what do you like access television and stuff was where you found a lot of the stuff but it seems to be hitting the mainstream now and i think that like podcasting shares a, a little bit of responsibility for that and that's a little bit about what uh, monolith is about
2: totally and also just how i guess which sucks if you're really great at what you do but how everyone can create one I'm, i was talking to someone i was doing an interview with someone in the uk and she was saying that her daughter had a desire who was seven to do a podcast it's like oh god like, god spend time with your child now where they sit there and talk and record yourself and then listen back to it and make an episode i'm like that? Mm. i think playing with sticks outside and running around seems like a better <laughs> a better a better thing to
1: do you need uh, that life experience i mean that's the that's the thing is like i couldn't have done a uh anything close to this show if i was like 21 22 i just yeah, didn't have the experience you can i guess maybe run a show where you're just very expert at one thing but mm-hmm. and i'm not saying there couldn't be younger podcasters out there lord knows there's there's plenty of them and plenty of them that are even more successful than than uh, us old fogies but uh i just can't imagine myself doing it at that that age
2: No, and also I guess though thinking about like the conspiracy theorists around it and people getting out there and being able to just make noise, just so much noise Mm -hmm. in a sense that like also just I think even from shooting Monolith, which, you know, they actually did um, have the voices in my head. It was set up like it was a podcast. It was like the noise cancelling headphones and just kind of immersing yourself in Someone telling you a story. When you remove visuals, it's like the level of immersion I just found was so different than, say, staring at a dead eye and in a ridiculous suit and <laughs> action. In the end, it was just like listening to stories, and it's such an audio experience. And when you think about people with, like listening to podcasts, it's just your voice, and then they're just staring at a wall and they're right. listening to your subliminal messaging. No,
0: I'm. I'm. While we're on the topic of conspiracy theories, I'm wondering <laughs> if there is any conspiracy theory that you believe lily
1: look yes. one that won't get you canceled Let yeah, you yeah that one that there. won't get you in trouble for talking <laughs> about it.
2: lacking it in y'all i'm a, I'm a flat walk. what is it a flat what do you call it what, a,
1: flat a flat earther <laughs>
2: yeah walker that's not quite <laughs> um, but no not really i mean nah, not not that i can think of or not that i'm gonna say
0: All right. Fair enough. I'll throw out an example for the sake of discussion. Like I believe that they make phone charging cords shitty on purpose. So you have to buy new ones like every three months.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely that. Also that your laptop, definitely the battery dies and slowly if you don't update and like, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. also let's be honest from the black mirror episode with those terms and uh, the, the, what do you call it? The agreement that you click every time. It's a million pages of Apple so all of your information or your data. I don't know, man.
1: Yeah, and all. Yeah. it
2: depends. It's dodgy, though, really. That's it. It's yeah, like,
1: I mean, there's there's a few a, a few like that out there. I think most people, when they think of conspiracy theories, they think of like, you know, oh, it was really the the the, the communist that shot JFK, and you know, there was full, the CIA was in in bed with blah blah blah, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But <laughs> uh, but there, you know, I don't know. There's especially your movie and, and again it's i don't want to give much away here because there's so much of what monolith is about is kind of diving into that conspiracy thinking but you know a lot of the the conversation around you know alien technology and is alien are aliens real is this something else that's you know something beyond that it's like a, a lot of that the conspiracy talk seems to be around ufos and yeah. a lot of it i think is just the desire to god please let there be something else out exactly, there besides us you exactly
2: know. what i was about to say i'm like it's so boring to imagine if there's not and you think of like the tiny freckle that we are within the galaxy you're just like come on also like right. i love the monolith where you just think about like a viral disease traveling through sound i'm just so yeah. about it. i'm so about it it was so fun to read when i read lucy campbell's um script because the film was made on a shoestring it was through this new voices program so it was five hundred thousand dollars 15 days to shoot it instead of like building a high conceptual sci-fi piece to fit into a low budget we just like grew it from like the roots up which was just so Mm -hmm. fun and exciting and also using the podcasting format that you're like look, we could actually, if people can listen for an hour, like which they might do now, if we get there, you guys might call this after 20 minutes. But (laughs) but yeah, that you're just like to use that in a film, in a film scope as well, which is just super, super fun. And kind of just to like, you know, hit heavy, high conceptual like thoughts and ideas and just try to scare people and try to like, you know, tell them a goddamn story. I think
0: it's, I think it's really interesting that in the past, Well, about the past year or so Mm -hmm. you had you. You I mean, just stateside, you followed up Evil Dead Rise with this. I realized they came out in a different Mm -hmm. order in Australia. Mm -hmm. It's funny that they are both essentially single location horror movies, um, but at total different ends of the of the spectrum. And I'm really curious what it was like going from filming Monolith, where it's just you in a room, essentially, Um, And creating the tension and dread out of that, going to Evil Dead Rise, which is, you know, gallons of blood (laughs) and, you know, extreme gore and it's way over the top. You know, what what was that experience like?
2: Well, I did, so I did Evil Dead first and then after Evil Dead, which is just so big it's just like it was full body like you would you would know it's like if you're in an evil dead film you know you're in an evil dead film it's like again though both were blessings right we shot in chronological order one location descent into total madness and believing the the unbelievable basically acting that out which is why like the beauty of horror and sci-fi from like an acting point of view is like one of the most invigorating challenges. Like you have to push boundaries of full expression, exercise realities that people want to push to the back of their minds. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, cause horror, it's like, it's such a brilliant way to like create and expand like your capacity basically as a viewer or, you know, uh, as a, as an actor, but yeah, also just like deeply embarrassing both, both jobs. You're just like having to carbonate fight or flight or fear and like Evil Dead was fully was just all full expression, and then Monolith was just internalizing it all. And I saw Monolith as this like palate cleanser for Evil Dead. Like yeah, like yeah. Shell shocked, being like my nervous system has been rewired, and then like Monolith to be like just so dialogue driven. You know, just a few more words than come get some. You know. Um, and were there
0: not days on the monolith set though where you were like, I wish someone else was in this scene with me oh
2: <laughs> all the time? One, <laughs> one person in my department, I'd have lunch and be like, little we like sad kid alone, being like, No one else, can. <laughs> um. You're-
1: you're like, can I get a long lunch here? Isn't somebody else's coverage? Don't you need some? Totally. To- it was, yeah, it
2: was a terrifying idea to do it, which is I'm all about walking towards fear and doing something that I hadn't done before. More for the experience not to watch the film, but... It's crazy when you remove like the body language of another person or even now not being able to see you guys. And I'm just talking at nothing right now. Yeah, um, it's for
1: the best. Don't worry. Gestures <laughs>
2: ago, really big gestures. It doesn't quite matter what they're doing right now. I, always, I always don't know what to do with my hands on screen sometimes. It's one of the weirdest sensations for you're like, mm. are they in frame? Are they out of frame? Should I put them up? Is that weird? Anyway. But yeah it was um oh my god i just totally thought about my hands and now i forgot what i was talking about. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now you're only going to be staring at your hands this entire yeah. this entire chat we'll, we'll be talking about carrie and deep deep carrie well there's actually something to talk about hands and carrie but we'll we'll, we'll get to that here in a in a second um one one thing i want to ask you as i have a friend who was an actress and she was in genre for a long time but she led a uh a movie called severance in um, uh, her name's Laura Harris. And she, she was in the yes. faculty. She was in a bunch of really great things. And yeah. she, uh, she told me after making severance that, mm-hmm. that before I saw the movie, you know, it's kind of, and that one's kind of a horror comedy, but you know, it gets mm-hmm. pretty horrific and stalker slashery. Right.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and she said that she was, she has never been more exhausted in her life than she was after every day of, of playing a character that is, in in that constant fight or flight mode that you you mentioned that like that they, is that something that you you feel uh, as well having having done something like Evil Dead specifically but you yeah. know th- there can also be the other end of it which is the exhaustion you have of carrying a uh, an entire damn movie with just yourself
2: yeah, I, <laughs> and that is also what I was talking about the idea of removing yeah. body language of another person like that's reactive whereas you just get lost within within your own imagination and, and visual, when yeah. you're just stripped back to audio. But, yeah, I mean, the, like, evil dead, the level of exhaustion, even just pretending you're scared is like your whole body is engaged. And, like, right. and I'm working with, like, a nine-year-old and then you're like, God damn it, she's not going to make this. Like, she's actually thinking she has to cry. I'm like, let's get the tear blower going and let's start <laughs> and let out primal screams and let's and find that hysterical laughter is the same. The nervous system is, like, hysterical, like, tension and and, and, and like, you know, crying or whatever. Right. So, like, it was really awesome because then I got to apply it to Monolith straight away after, which was, like, treating um, acting sometimes more like dancing in a way. Mm. One, it's, right. like, you embarrass yourself more. If you start doing weird moves before a take and start doing push-ups or, like, letting, then you just don't feel any shame. And then um, then for Monolith, it's, like, carbonating when it's just your eyes and visuals and you're not looking at this camera but you're emoting and sending signals to a camera that you're scared or that you're being you know engrossed by something that someone's saying you're just like it all just becomes like almost just creating that physiological like dance within your body god that sounds wankery doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) you guys laugh way too hard damn
0: (laughs) well we don't know You know, is the thing, you know, you may very well be true. We have no
2: experience. I just pretend to run a podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought one of the really, one of the more interesting things, i I, uh, interesting elements of of Monolith, I think, is that the character you're playing is not entirely ethical, Mm -hmm. you know, over the course of of the film. I don't have a question for this. I just thought that was a really interesting choice to sort of have her continually making these decisions that are like, "Mm, you're kind of in the gray area right here. Like even recording people without telling them before they even started talking that they were being recorded. It's like such a Mm -hmm. little thing, but it's kind of a big thing, you know, that really stuck out to me. And I, I don't know. I just thought that made the character more interesting than if you had been say, uh, Entirely ethical, a boy scout, for lack of a better term, or I suppose a girl oh, yeah. scout in your case. Yes.
2: Yeah, try to do everything by the books to salvage her career. Instead, it's like you're dropped into the world where she's like, and also doesn't even have a name. We didn't even have a name like for the characters. Mm-hmm. It was just like actually kind of entering this like self loathing space where like. She's trying to salvage her career after you know, being fired for ethical misconduct and now she's just like clawing her way back to relevance and like that, that addiction to existing online, the addiction to having something to say, that like idea right. of telling other people's stories and manipulating them no matter what the consequences are. Like the, the desperate need for redemption is a gross one to, to play and to follow. But like yeah. also really wild, rarely do you get to play someone that you just hate and that you know and <laughs> cool. and you're like shit choice again that's another shit choice that's not a likable choice is it
1: but no. then i'm like
2: do you really like yourself that much and i'm like no mm. cool. it's cool it's great yeah. this is cool learning curve.
1: <laughs> well it's interesting i mean i i like the that you mentioned manipulate there's like this manipulation manipulative undercurrent for you know or theme to this entire movie where she's manipulating her subjects the obviously the audio that 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 you're hearing is manipulating reality and, and there is something really, I don't know. It just, it feels like that's just so in the forefront right now where that, that is, you know, word viruses are real. You know, anybody who's had a, a parent or a grandparent that's, you know, become obsessed with Fox news or, you know, or, uh, you know, fallen under the MAGA cult or whatever. And apologies. Mm -hmm. We're going to garner. I just garnered herself another few one-star reviews. Yeah. Good job. some, Some Trump listeners, but, um, you know, but it's it's true. I mean, January 6th doesn't happen without, you know, without mm-hmm. a word virus going around, you know, I mean, that's, it, it's so weird how that is such at the forefront, you know, and this is something that obviously was on the mind of your, you know, your writer and you guys, as you were making this.
2: Yeah. And also like, just to not, like to not forget the power of like narrative and the power of storytelling, the power right. of uh, like how bendable and malleable truth is. And also just like, people's conviction like people just because it doesn't seem like truth it's their truth and so you're right. like when you start exploring that weird word of truth you're like it is so malleable and when there's conviction behind it it's dangerous you're just like and all we do is absorb sounds and words and then choose our own little you know from our own set of experiences what resonates for us more or like right. yeah it, it was really fun lucy campbell just again, for the constraints we had to make this film, it was just so great to just read good writing. And, like, it's indulgent, but it's also just, like, yeah, exploring stuff that definitely excites excites me anyway. And you're, like, the idea of just birthing the feral, self-absorbed narcissist within was really fun as well. <laughs> yeah. at the end of this film, but there's birthing that happens. Something.
0: <laughs> yes, there is. I don't want to say too much more about the movie because, you know, it's – It is a slow burn, but it arrives at a very satisfying conclusion. I'll say that. But one thing I think people should know before going into this movie, this is not a movie you can watch while fucking around on your phone. You know, this, this Mm -hmm. movie is very dialogue heavy and all that dialogue is important to sort of unpacking the puzzle that this movie is. So I would caution any of our, our listeners to, you know, definitely seek this movie out when it, when it comes out on the 16th. But, uh, put your goddamn phones down and pay attention to the
1: movie. when, it, when Watch it's
2: me right. on my phone. Watch me on my phone. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's important to exactly. the story, goddamn it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> a, uh, a person that I was doing an interview with, they watched it. They'd seen it at Fright Fest in London, and then they watched just to catch up again to kind of do the interview. They listened to it through their headphones, walking around the house, and just did the mm-hmm. full audio experience of monoliths, which was quite interesting. I was like, oh, yeah. I guess the film kind of would work until you get to the weird – yeah, yeah, the third act. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, thanks for that, though. Appreciate it. it yes. Yeah, just-
1: I, I would also like to add. I can't believe this was made for half a million dollars. I, if you would have put a gun in my head, I would have. I would have guessed. I would have guessed you. It was like five million. It, you know. It, it. Oh, it looks it, great. It looks. It looks great. So. Awesome. So. Uh. Yeah. Everybody, seek seek the the movie out and. Uh, you know, sit down, have a pleasant unpleasant experience. I will. Put yeah, it down. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Thank you to Dr. Robert Zombie for bringing us into the uh, mid-roll ad space here. Vespy, obviously, Grimsburg did a whole buyout this week of our ads. Yes, they did. So uh, we got to come back to them for the minute.
1: Yeah, they're the sponsors.
0: We got to do what the sponsors say. Yeah, exactly. So here's the news. Grimsburg premieres this Sunday at 9.30, 8.30 Central on Fox and streams the next day on Hulu. It's set in a town that... According to this ad copy, our fans are sure to love uh, one filled with a lot of horror and murder and grisly crime. But also, it stars our boy, John Hamm. And we do love our John Hamm. Yes, we do. And he is also an executive producer on this show. You think John Hamm's going to EP
1: something that isn't good? That's Fuck not the no. John
0: Hamm. I know.
1: No, not the one I know either. Uh, according to this, he plays a detective named Marvin Flute on the show. I want to yes. know what Marvin Flute's
0: deal is. Yeah, me too. Uh, well, I've got a script sitting here in front of me, and I'm happy to tell you, Marvin Flute has to track down and capture a number of diabolical criminals. Criminals? <laughs> How many fucking fucking? It's it's like, syllables it's like did I just put in that word? It's uh, like animals Marvin Flute has to track down and capture a number of diabolical criminals. Like, the... the <laughs> The name of the character is the kidneyper. <laughs> the Kidney. Kidney. Kidneeper. Kidneeper. <laughs> Kidneeper. <laughs> the Kidneeper. Uh, a surgeon who steals people's kidneys. <laughs> the Kidneeper. All right. I like the show um, already. In- I know, right? Uh, or the <laughs> Cosplayer, a murderous cosplayer. Mary Choppins is another villain he has to take down, apparently. I'm uh, also to understand that she abducts children. So, you know. Not as festive as the normal Mary Poppins. Uh, uh, there is also the Skinny killer, who I'm told looks a bit like a walking pinata, but is
1: much more dangerous. And apparently, this week he's taking on somebody called the Boner Killer.
0: Yeah, see, that's the John Ham. I know. But don't take it from us, folks. Here's what the critics are saying about Grimsburg. Everyone's wild about a scary little town called Grimsburg. <laughs>
1: to get me out of here alive i get it you like living
0: john ham stars in the crime comedy critics call a breath of fresh whiskey reeking
1: air the stash is ready to prove he's here to stay probably reviews say it's a big hit i'm a big fan of your work likewise meaning i'm a big fan of my work because i don't know
0: who you are grimsburg series premiere this sunday
1: on fox Thanks, Grimsberg. Thanks, John Hamm. I say thanks, John Hamm, after everything, anyway. But uh, I think it's time to get back to the show. What do you think?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Burn, slam, Lily, what is your Stephen King origin story?
2: Stephen King origin story. I mean, the origin story would be my mom bought me it, and then I never read it because I didn't. <laughs> it. it was As a, was
0: a g- thousand pages long.
2: Yeah, it's also going to end up a lot of, like, unpacking, like, the damage my mother did of just her love for <laughs> horror and her love <laughs> of, like, science fiction and just being like, you'll love this. And I'm like, you're traumatizing me. But then it did work that I, I ended up falling in love with horror. And so, anyway, didn't read it, but then watched it. What, and, what age? Oh, I was probably 13. No, hmm?
0: So you watched the miniseries version?
2: Yeah, and then and then also then it was Carrie, my mom, when I was 15, 16, I want to say. And <laughs> Is like, that
1: how she explained uh, the, the <laughs> monthlies? Dude,
2: yeah. also the worst part. Like my mom sent me to a like Christian, like evangelist school, like hectic. She wasn't religious, and then shows me this film, and I'm like <laughs> and trying to really scare me. It was just the closest school up the road. She's like. Christians are nice. I'm like, they are. But why would you make me watch Harry? <laughs> and then see them, like, at lunch? They're, like, speaking in tongues and being saved and born again. Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, mixed signals, Mom.
2: Mixed signals. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, do you want to watch that?
0: <laughs> so was your, was your mom also a King reader?
2: Yeah, she was. She was. And lo- and just crime. Like Even now, before, like, bed, she'll put on, like, like murder mysteries, all those ones where it's like Sue was found dead in her house, rah, rah, rah. and you're like, She's like, No, no, I'm like, This is, <laughs> yeah. you know, just but yeah. And then also, when I did obviously join like the e- Evil Dead universe, she was just so stoked. She was like, This is my dream. I'm like, This is, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so that's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's yes. really
1: interesting that you say this because we, we seem to have a common thread we've been doing the show for four years now and and we've been asking all of our guests this question and i would say the vast majority 85 percent or more it is mothers introducing their yeah. kid to mm-hmm. stephen king yeah uh, every once in a while we'll get a dad that that'll do it um but uh but it, it's it's really interesting how this seems to have been passed generationally through through the you know, through the mother side of of things. I, I don't know. There's gotta be some sort of really great like academic paper to be written about this. I, I don't know what that is, but it's, it's just really re-
0: it's just dad's like reading books about World War II. That's
1: why <laughs> <laughs> So King's gotta get on his World War II yeah. uh, horror kick or he missed the boat, I guess, in the 80, 80, 80s, 80s. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw my dad read
0: a novel. No,
2: it was I all really like historical that. stuff. Yeah, I no, would play video games like that was it. He'd be like, but war video games. There you go. Whereas my mom would play like some sort of the Japanese like style, like, you know, who done it, beautiful, like ethereal. Both of them played video games so far. Oh, interesting. Hilarious. PlayStation. Yeah. Cool.
1: yeah. We're going to get to that. We're <laughs> fastly approaching that San Junipero episode of Black Mirror where it's just going to be video games in retirement homes. Yeah. Exactly. It better be when I'm in there. I'll tell you that much. How am I going <laughs> to get sane sit, sitting in a nursing home? I got to be,
2: exactly. you know, killing out.
1: orcs or something. Yeah.
2: Oh, Veteran reality's dodgy, though. I always feel so nauseous after it. hope doesn't get oh, yeah.
1: But yeah. That's true. So your chosen title was Carrie. And does this go back to your, you know, being introduced to this at, at such a, a young and impressionable age <laughs> yeah. that the movie kind of stuck with you?
2: Yes, definitely. And then also later on I had the chance to audition for it, which was crazy, and to try to even channel city space in like in this in a psychedelic grace and wide-eyed intensity, was just not right. even Not even interesting. In yeah, it's just like acting wise. It was just, mm-hmm. yeah. Was but it
1: for the the one that Chloe Grace Moretz ended
2: up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starring it was, in? Was. It was indeed. But yeah, interesting. I mean, I mean, it's so good with this film where you're just, like, it's such a melting pot of, like, high school cheese, YA, like, weird empathy of, like, the 70s, like, tacky, weird, and then, like, Uh pop gothic, like, I don't know, like, Tennessee Williams trauma, and then, like, embedding, like, telekinesis in it with the rage of being in that age. I was just – and obviously I think as well it's just the sound design of this film that you're just, like, cheesy, weird music – then, like the climactic portion of like the prom sequence.
1: Right.
2: Like it reverts to like ominous droning, like weird sounds and goes internal. You're like, the the way that they the way that they made cinema then and, and just I think because of the restrictions of like that era and shooting on film and like, you know, even just the like split diopter shots and close ups of her right. eyes. It's just like ends up being it just burns into the back of your retinas, I just feel like.
1: But yeah. What you're describing is personality. It's like so many movies these days don't have, right? Like by default, don't have personality. Like it's it, they would view like that kind of milky, a almost soap opera-y look that Carrie has as being a like a, a flaw, not not a, a positive.
2: You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh,
1: it, well, and it's also uh, you talk about personality. There's there's a moment in Carrie that I always have to bring up when it comes up because. It, I always forget it's there when I rewatch it, and then it hits, and it, I just laugh my ass off. And it's when they're, everybody's doing their preparing for, for prom stuff. And then, like, Brian De Palma decides to hit the fast forward button, and everybody's like talking like chipmunks and, you know, for, for a second. And it's like, yeah, yeah, this is what they're doing. We got to get through this. It is such an odd choice that I can't imagine. If I was watching, like, I went to go see Smile. Or something, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. Or
1: Evil Dead Rise, and then suddenly yeah. there's a scene where you just decided to fast forward through through a little like section to get get to the goods quicker, or whatever the hell the creative choice was there. You know, I don't know. It is it is so bizarre, and I think that speaks to what you were talking about about how you know it's got that kind of uniquely 70s feel of the the that uh, the the new young hungry filmmaker group, the De Palmas, the yeah. Coppolas, and all that were coming out at the time, and they were just really. Yeah. Like I'm gonna push this uh, uh this art form in, into places that it hasn't been before.
2: Yeah, and even like Peter Weir as well. He we did like *Picnic at Hanging Rock*, like well right. and like *Waking Fry, like hectic, weird. Where you're just like the way they cut films then. It was just like. You know, whether it was because it was a limitation then, but then ends up being such an asset in the long run. I mean, maybe not. Maybe the kids who grow up with iPads and all of that jazz now are just going to be like, I have zero love or use for this world now. This just doesn't, mm. I just haven't, it doesn't resonate in any way. But also, well, tell- sorry, go on.
1: No, no, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I can tell you that I, I showed Carrie to my nephews. Oh, yeah. I did a double feature of Carrie and, Shawshank Redemption Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, this is like right when we were starting the show and uh, uh, so they were both under 13 I think the one was like 9 the other was like 12 Mm -hmm. something like that and and uh, I was curious. One, they were engaged with Shawshank all the way through, which I didn't think they would be because we mostly watch like genre and comedy and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then with Carrie, I could feel them getting a little restless about halfway through. But the second the prom scene starts, I've never seen them more focused on anything.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: like they, there was no fidgeting. There was no like, I got to ask questions. I got to go to the bathroom. There was none of that. It was just like suddenly nothing else existed in the world but what was happening on the screen. So the iPad generation, I'm saying, that you know the the movie still has a little power over
2: over the iPad yeah i know and that slow burn sense where you're just like it's eerie it's like that weirdly like again i found myself where there's the cheese in it and you find yourself laughing at it and then it's weirdly sensual and erotic that i feel like a prude in it i can't uh, right. <laughs> i'm just like oh, oh my god weird oh god blood, and like in <laughs> really horrific way of like, you know, going through puberty or whatever. I'm like, how is this so uncomfortable? And then when it accelerates at the end. But like also like with King, how he's just got such a sacrilegious sense of humor and plays right. with the sense of sin so well. Like, you know, you like because obviously the screenplay was from that you're like, I I just, yeah, the uncomfortable cringe and feeling like a prude. And, like, obviously as well, though, I give that to Sissy uh, hugely because yeah. her commitment to being this, like, creature-like, fragile young woman, like, because adding the, you know, the superpower of it all that you're, like, exploring, like, again, what could be a really boring film, you know, seeing all of that, you know, the youth and, like, uh, the, the, that really confusing time in like, an era of, like, you know, women's lib and, like, Evangel uh, like christian movement you know what i mean it's like it's just so great how it just slices through it with like the weird sense of humor of king right. and also just like the weird funny erotic sensual weirdness to it and, and like also just being deeply disturbing i don't know i'm already lost thinking about it it's such a weird <laughs> film i can't believe i chose it because i'm like there's just so many like, layers to it i'm like this right is- well, up, good. Yeah, so, it's yeah that's
1: good that that's meaty that means we have stuff to talk about which is good like we true. as we've said multiple times on the show it's like how many times can we say Shawshank Redemption's a perfect movie it's like
2: totally. you know also yeah. I did love with like on Evil Dead where it was just like with the split diopter I'm like all about those shots it's oh so, I love ooh, it. especially in horror or something that you're being creeped out by when one person's in a different state to the other and not engaging it's just mm-hmm. the difference. When Lee Cronin did it and he were dead, I was like, hell yeah. Carrie, mm-hmm. this is great. I love this. It's a <laughs> <weird> one.
0: <laughs> one of the more interesting things about Carrie, both the, the novel and the and the movie, is that it's got two villains in yeah. like Carrie White and her mother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not you choose to view Carrie White as a villain kind of comes down to how you feel about it her slaughtering an entire school full of people, including the people that (laughs) weren't necessarily bullying her. Um, I'm wondering if you have a take on this. Do you think that Carrie White's mother is the bigger villain or is it Carrie? I mean, one of them has the bigger
1: body count.
2: Yeah, the bigger body count. But sometimes, you know, you can just forget about a few of those bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Some people
1: deserve to be
2: cut in half by a bleacher.
1: I tend to agree.
2: It is so funny with film when you can, or like in a book where you can make it satisfying to like murder loads of people and you're kind of like, yeah, just nodding and you're like, that's so intense. But I definitely think, obviously, it's Mama Bear, like Christian psychosis that's like deeply disturbing. Also, just like she's like translated her own like psychotic fear of sexuality into a twisted personal religion. Like, it's just one of the most crazy. Mm-hmm. And- of a daughter that you're just like you're like it's she's so it's so intense that abuse um so i'm all the way with carrie is a saint and And i'll hear not one bad word about her i will not hear exactly everyone had it coming
0: you could definitely make the argument that if carrie white's mother hadn't been carrie white's mother if she had had like a loving home life mm-hmm. you know that the the whole slaughter at the school might not have occurred but Tired.
1: even even with those bullies, yeah, <sighs> yeah, even with the bully I mean
0: if you're not being prepared for um you know growing up, being in the real world, having a social life, you know all the things that you should be fostering in a child, I think at that at that age, mm-hmm. you know you're gonna end up with somebody who's a lot like Carrie white, you know not necessarily. Uh, possessed of telekinetic powers but you know Mm -hmm. certainly a weird kind of outcasty kind of kind of kid I think and yeah yeah, like I I don't think things would have turned out the way they did if Carrie White's mother had been you know super chill you know Agreed.
2: agreed and also like I just love when I'm like it's almost like she has this like psychedelic grace like once she walks out of the gym you're just like and up the staircase like sissy's mm-hmm. body language was just so bizarre that you're like again it's like with horror and watching people do it it's like it's crazy how primal and weird it is when people could taught their bodies to create this level of hate or like this level of fear or this level of it's just for me so fascinating to watch and i also can't believe it in the like awards world that like more horror performances don't get acknowledged like there's right? just so many insane performances that are just like absolutely brilliant like obviously sissy and, and, and carrie but just like bizarre what do you what Some do you make think,
0: of that phenomenon
2: i don't know like i'm like it's really bizarre to me i'm like it's Whether it was, like, that horror had this sense of, like, that it felt cheap or it's, like, a thrill trying to, like, you know, I I don't know what it is or whether people don't. Because it's, like, it's intellectual. It's, like, preying on people's dark spaces of their Mm. minds. Um, Right. Embodying great fears. It's, like, I think it's, like, one of the most, like, uh, weird possessions, like, that people go through and do it and act it out for you on screen. It's bizarre. And the fact that that you don't have like yeah horror performances in every like you know in every awards is there's like someone who's done something like that instead of you know biopic of someone who's done something brave which is great and love that or, <laughs> right. like you right.
1: know Eddie Redmayne once again playing a historical British figure yeah exactly. mm-hmm. getting nominated well I mean to to the Academy's credit they for for this one they actually they nominated both Piper Laurie and Sissy Spacek neither True. one won. But both of those oh God, did they? They I did, yeah, and, was and very I, rare.
2: Committed. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and Kathy Bates was nominated for Misery and won, but that's the only uh, you know uh, winner. Yes. And then I, th- that era was really interesting though for the Oscars because you had almost back to back like we appreciate horror because Misery you know won the best uh, actress the yeah. one year and then the next year was Silence of the Lambs swept. Right. Sure. And, and I, you know, I remember as a kid watching the Oscars going, all right, it's my time. They're actually nominating and loving the movies that I love. Right. And then, uh, then they went right back to, to, you know, go to the, Stuff the, the, like, the, right? the dramas and whatnot, but, uh,
2: which we love, but also just like, yeah also like the surgeons of horror it's just like just bums on sea and communal experiences especially after like covid everyone's like get me to the cinema i want to hear right i chew and throw his popcorn i want to yell at the screen with other people i want to you know which is i want
1: escapism and yeah that's that that sense of community yeah
0: that only makes the phenomenon weirder because you're Mm -hmm. exactly right in that like that That horror was one of the one of the only genres that was like bulletproof at the box office during Mm -hmm. all the all the COVID shit, you know, Um, you would think that, I don't know, the industry would be would look a little more favorably upon um, a genre that was capable of doing that. And especially the stuff that's getting made now. You know, um, you there's still like Evil Dead Rise. I would consider more of a fun horror movie. You know, yeah. it is. Well, I tell people
2: it's a comedy, like it's a black comedy. I'm like, right. I'm into a are terrified who just don't do it. I'm like, it's funny. It's yeah. Parasites, man, kills our kills her kids. They become a spider. Yeah. It's scary
0: as shit, but it's still fun. You know, but there's a lot of horror that's being made now that's. You know, it's about trauma and grief and, you know, like...
2: the the Babadook, you know? Yeah, yeah, like um,
0: the perfect example. Jennifer Kent, I think, should have been nominated for directing that. And uh, I forget who the lead actress was Um, in that, but she
2: was... Essie Davis. Essie
0: Davis, fucking phenomenal.
2: Phenomenal, fucking brilliant.
0: Tony Collette and Hereditary.
2: Yeah, I was about to say that next. And yeah.
0: You know, it's... I don't know. It just seems to me like we're due to move beyond that. And if, if the Oscars are consistently worried about their dwindling viewership numbers, which is like that conversation has been going on for like a decade now, it seems like, like maybe, maybe it's time to change shit up a bit. You know, maybe people want to see this stuff represented.
2: Yeah, and also how, like, you know, mm-hmm. horror is such a great vessel to, like, explore, you know, political, truths, religious tests, like, emotional capacity. Like, it's such an awesome genre to, like, play with actually things that are kind of all been done a million times and kind of can get a bit boring and spoon-feedy after a while and then make it, like, funny and terrifying at the same time. It's, like, it's the best blend. And it's, like, again, even with Carrie, you're just, like, it's – perfectly blended where you're just like sitting back and laughing at it but then you also feel kind of sick by what's happening Mm, like you go to school you're an outcast people tease you it's like which is one of the most debilitating ages and self-loathing and change but then you just add like telekinesis to it and you just add that psychedelic spin that like you know horror and sci-fi can bring to it it's just such a great way to to eat a film
1: To me, they're there. I mean, there's standout performances from everybody. Again, this is the '70s, so you're having even people that have like three lines in it, or like one of the guy, one of the teachers is the guy from Cuckoo's Nest, right? Like mm-hmm. these amazing character I mean, actors I just that, that love- are in there.
2: Nice. Like oh it.
1: my god, I love that movie so much. But there's three that stand out to me that I like to run by you, Lily, and as a, as an actor yourself, get a, an idea of what do you think of their performances. Uh, one is Nancy Allen as Chris, who's the bully. Mm-hmm. um i think that she does such a great job of showing hurt like when she gets rebuked and like nobody comes to her defense and when she's like getting slapped by the gym teacher or whatever yeah you have that moment but she's also one of the most wretched people and you want to see her get her come up and so bad and uh it, you know and it's it's almost like the death she does get is is way too less than what she deserves right so being able to foster that level of of like audience hatred like what, what do you think of, of how she did that
2: yeah and also i think the scene between her and john travolta which love young john travolta so good Right. Where, like it's the slap in the face like don't call me dumb and then she's like this sex kitten and then she's like you know like he spills the beer on her and it's just to play this like wave of like sexist weird gross a beginning of a beautiful life of being abused as a woman in that area. right where you're like where you're just this little dolly and you just see how that's just that standalone scene you're just like oh you damaged damaged little peanut where you're like just putting the lip <laughs> on over and over again and then like yeah also the slaps in the face are just so hectic in this movie of everyone just hitting each other yeah.
1: so betty buckley slapping <laughs> nancy allen slapping john travolta slapping everybody slapping. be
2: slapping <laughs> you're like okay yeah also great, that old film should always be shown because it just shows you the, the state and what was acceptable. <laughs> yeah, was what yeah,
0: it's wild when you see it. I The day Prince died, I remember the Alamo Draft House screened Purple Rain and, yeah. I, went and I went and saw it that night and it was like, there's a scene in that movie where he, he slaps Apollonian, like you could tell the entire theater who was very everyone there was a Prince fan, everyone was there to mourn Prince and seen Purple Rain a dozen times. That happened and the fucking the entire room went oh! like everyone <laughs> forgot that shit was coming like it's it's weird to see that in, yeah. in movies and I've it been- not be treated like a, a giant turning point for those characters like something <laughs> that can just be shrugged off
2: mm-hmm, totally but, but yeah i i completely agree to hold to hold that that level of um I nearly just said the c um to hold that level <laughs> of being an absolute nightmare but also being imprisoned yourself in that sense it's such a yeah mm-hmm. it's a fine, it, it, fine it's a,
1: it's a nuanced it's a nuanced character for something that could just and should just be just a a standard bully right
0: exactly. um
1: exactly. uh and the other two ha- are the the leads we have to talk a little bit more about Sissy and we have to talk a little bit more about Piper Laurie
2: This is my first podcast by the way can we this is- oh. really Literally, this is. I pretended to be a podcaster, but I've never, I've never just yawned on a podcast before. It's
1: super easy. All of this is just sitting and bullshitting with people.
2: Yeah, we made it. We made it. (laughs) We did it. We're
1: we're almost to the end. But uh, I want I want to get. I want to talk a little bit about Sissy Spacek. We've talked uh, a bit in general, but as as a, a performer. We we talked about not not knowing what to do with your hands and like she does something so cronish and crone like with her hands whenever she becomes that blank slate uh during the prom scene, whenever whatever it is in Carrie White is gone and it's just the the hate and rage that's left. Yeah. She does something with her body there that like I don't think I've quite seen an equivalent to in, in modern times. There's something about how she becomes a husk of a person. Yeah. And that let like astounds me as an actor do you look at that and go oh yeah i can do that that's easy or do you look at that and go that's that's magic to me
2: that's magic to me like oh. i uh, yeah i think that performance and that um even the way when she's so beautiful and they really dull her up that that even seems like a sellout but because of sissy's like gravitas and and commitment to being this real girl that exists inside her, you're just like, and sitting in the light, even her smile as the prom queen before it all goes horrifically wrong is kind of like, it's so eerie and painful. Like her level of commitment from the beginning is astounding. And then when she transforms and her whole yeah, insides have been carved out and whoever the young woman was before is just totally gone. It's like, yeah, her body carbonation of like just sheer pain that becomes this superpower is just a wild thing to morph telekinesis and like the body through rage and pain it's just yeah to see the simmering pain and the turn into like this thrill of rage as a as a as a viewer which she's like conjuring is wild Mm -hmm. so much time
1: Wonderfully said. Uh, you have like ten seconds to say everything you love about Piper Laurie. Go.
2: <laughs> oh God, useless in the film. Absolutely useless. <laughs> <laughs> Dead weight. <laughs> well played. almost like preach and sing like the musicality of her performance. Instead of playing it really small, is just so what the film needs. It's so yeah, gorgeous.
1: and the sensuality All righty, and man. yeah. R.I.P. Well, we uh
0: we are so happy that you came, that you stopped by and and talked to us today about Carrie. Uh, we want everyone that's listening to this to go check out Monolith when it drops on uh, February 16th in select theaters and uh via digital. Um, Lily, where can where can people find you online? Are you or are you one of the uh, uh clever people who is just not online at all?
2: No, no, I've joined, I've joined the tribe, unfortunately, of pure narcissism and self
0: <laughs> Yes.
2: Um, you can find me on Instagram, y'all, I don't know, and Twitter. <laughs> Not that I ever really post, although I did re Stephen King commenting on Evil Dead, which was a pretty – Oh, yeah, pissed. that's
1: right. But, yeah. yeah.
2: Love that, love that. But, yeah, way
0: to, way to tie it in here right at the end. Well done. <laughs> masterful, <laughs> masterful regardless, segue. And
2: like, and I'm a goddamn natural
0: look at that you could play one in a movie (laughs) well thank you so much for being here this was this was lovely and um you know we wish you luck on whatever you do next
2: amazing thanks for your time thanks for watching and thanks for the chats
1: many thanks to lily sullivan for joining us for yet another conversation about carrie this was a really fun one for me. Like, uh, this is one that kind of like happened out of the blue and was like a last minute mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after we stopped recording, Lily was talking about how this was her her first podcast appearance and how how nervous she was. And I'm yeah. like, it didn't feel it didn't feel that way going into the. No, she was a the recording. delight. Yeah. You yeah, know, she was uh, great. very personable.
0: Had an answer for everything. I wish we had more time with her. Maybe. Yeah. But um, yeah, this was great. Love to have yeah. her back. We'll we'll have to go through eight different walls of PR people to uh, pull that off, uh, but uh, Lily, you're welcome back anytime. You were great.
1: We have another great guest coming up next week. Uh, this one's a KingCast listener favorite. That's right. Our friend Winter Mitchell is returning to bring her particular brand of chaotic energy to what could feasibly... And arguably, be the worst Stephen King adaptation. I I say arguably because because we actually even debate on this episode what is the worst, and uh, I think we're kind of split on what the worst one is. But Dolan's Cadillac is the topic at hand. Uh, not a great movie. Uh, it's a it's a neat little poish story that they're that uh, it's based on, but then they made a uh, a not great Christian Slater slash West. Bentley vehicle in the late aughts, I believe. And oh boy, is that is that a rough one? But you're
0: you're spending more time setting this up than the people who made this movie spent (laughs) thinking about it. I hate this fucking movie so much. It's absolutely in the running, as you said, for the worst King adaptation. And um, I just want to point out that we kinda I kind of tricked Winter into taking this one. We wanted to help promote her new show. That's coming out tangent Island. I fucking, you know, I was like, all right, well, how about we just, you know, pair you with a a title. And she said, sure. And I said, Dolan's Cadillac. And she was like, oh, I've never seen that. And I was like, great. Um, (laughs) And then the episode you're going to hear
1: next Wednesday is the results of that conversation. Mm. That was a brave move, Scott, because uh, you knew that we were about to spend a whole lot of time with winter when we did our screen drafts, uh, yeah, that's uh, true. top 13 King mini mega draft. Uh, uh, and uh, she could have uh, possibly taken some revenge on you for, for, for that.
0: Yeah, that's so. that, that is true. But um, uh, I'm well tune in next week. You'll, you'll have a good time. <laughs> and this Friday on the KingCast Patreon, we have the latest episode of Shelbyville, episode number seven, Vespi. Be. You excited for episode number seven?
1: It's uh, stuff's getting real because at the end of the last one, there was a, a shootout uh, and some fire. And yes. I believe if my memory isn't wrong, this should be another Chet Buggins episode. So that's right. Josh Robert Thompson
0: reprising his role. As the beloved Chut Buggins uh, on the last episode of Shelbyville, we got into a, well, a very complicated shootout at a uh, (laughs) at a titty bar called uh, Kittens. Kittens. And and there was also an evil puppet and uh, two albino twins, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Uh, It's it's been a wild season. We are heading into the home stretch of Shelbyville season two. You know, there's six more episodes, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Things get substantial uh, before the end of the season. You know?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, things uh, are, are developing between our characters. Um, some of them, you know, uh, might face some hardships before the end of the season.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can don't say the say back half is else. very. Yeah, the back half is very emotional. So we're yes. we're about to get into some of the most emotional character work we've done on our weird little uh, actual play RPG that we've been kicking around for the last couple of years. Correct. Um, but but uh, you know, this is this is where stuff's getting real and we're we're really excited for everybody to hear out the rest of this season and uh we're real excited to see what the future of Shelbyville is. Uh, after this season we we uh maybe have been doing a little recording already on it and uh we're 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 so excited for everybody to listen to it i'm having a ball and uh yes if you want if you uh, are intrigued whatsoever and haven't taken the plunge go ahead and head on over to patreon.com slash the and sign up and you'll get access to all of our shelbyville stuff uh you will get access to ad free bonus episodes we do one every friday and uh we got commentaries interviews uh, deep dives into short stories, random Stephen King stuff like I don't know the the guy that thinks that he killed John Lennon. Like we have an episode yes. devoted to that, and get access to Discord. In short, we make it worth it. Throw us a few bucks, and uh, and you're gonna have uh, plenty to show for it. Absolutely, um, folks. I think that's it for this week that is all right uh, thanks again to fox and grimsburg for uh sponsoring this entire ass episode uh yes. and uh yeah i guess we'll see y'all next week with winter mitchell and us suffering through dolan's cadillac adios folks the Kingcast is a fangoria podcast production the show is produced hosted and created by eric Vespi, that's me and scott wampler tiara Ansley and abby goel are executive producers daniel danger is our art director and editing is done by yours truly.